Good morning, Digital Cathedral family. Glad you're with me on this Sunday morning. It's always good when it's Sunday morning, Wednesday night. I look forward to those times that we can gather in together and look at some truth from God's Word that is setting us more free than we've ever known in our life. Isn't it amazing what God is doing around the world? What started out a few years ago, just a very few years ago, well, it's been almost 20 for me, when I really got freed up from religion, I felt like, man, I was the Lone Ranger. I got into Facebook, onto social media, and there was actually nobody that I really knew that was seeing what I was seeing, that was teaching what I was teaching. And I'm sure there was, I know there was, but I didn't know anybody and I was all by myself. But now, who would ever thought that we could have a gathering on Sunday morning of like-minded people from Africa, Australia, Europe, the United States, South America, people that gather in. And because of different time zones, we all aren't here at the same time, but we do all gather around the same truth. And so this thing has become a tsunami around the world. People are discovering grace, inclusion, unconditional love, mercy that endures forever, the finished work of the cross. So many fantastic truths that just a few years ago we had no idea even existed because we were steeped in tradition and what we had always been taught. I want to start this morning and we're going to look at some things that ultimately I'm going to uh, assure you if you'll listen to me this, this morning the whole thing all the way to the end, I will assure you that there will never be another day that you do not please the Father. I'm going to show you this morning how you can please the Father in every situation, in every day the rest of your life. Now you're going to have to walk through a few things with me this morning. We're going to look at the life of Jesus and three revelations that Jesus carried that we can carry too that's going to aid us in this journey of manifesting as sons and daughters and coming to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the target. That's the aim, seeing the restoration of all things through the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God. I want to start over in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, and talking about John the Baptist. This is how John the Baptist broke on the scene, and some of us can relate to this and maybe the feelings that John had, although it's not really expressed in this verse, but some of the frustrations that John faced when he knew that he had a call from God, he knew he was on a mission, but he was like on the back shelf in the back burner. And I'm sure he was chomping at the bits. He was a young man full of, full of enthusiasm and vitality, a call from God, and he was wanting to, to put it forth. Can anybody relate, relate to that? Well, then here's, here's about John. Luke chapter 1, verse 80, last verse of chapter 1. It says, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. Now that's a, that's a process. Do you see that? He became strong in spirit. We're becoming strong in spirit. We're relying more on spirit today than we ever have in our life. We're, we're denying our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, and we're looking at things that are not seen. That's how you grow in spirit. Now here's, here's a key. And he was in the deserts deserts more than one so he there were more than one experience that he had in the desert and he was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel so here's John the Baptist he's on the back burner he's out of visibility he has no ministry whatsoever he's just out in the deserts growing in spirit have you ever felt like that you ever felt like you had a very valid ministry you had a word to share I get, I get messages from people that are very frustrated because they feel like, man, I've got this message down. I want to share it. I want to teach it. I have no platform. I have no, no, nowhere to go with it. Well, 
Just rest assured that you are in the desert until the day of your appearing, until the day of your manifestation to your Israel. Now, there's been a lot of generations that have been teaching about a time in which the sons and the daughters of God are going to walk out of the closet, walk out of the desert, and it becomes your time. And we've heard this teaching for a long time, not from a lot of quarters, but there has always been a group of people that have looked for the manifestation of the sons of God, have looked for the uh, restoration of all things, that understand this message that we're teaching. Uh, and, and there's always been this group of people that are looking for the sons to come out of the desert. We, they know that they've been in preparation. We look around and we can see, I can see lots of people in preparation. Some of them know it, some of them don't know it. I can see some of my old pastor friends that are really in seasons of preparation and they're, they're, they're coming through that birthing process. And it's not easy to come through that birthing canal, is it, when you're on the front, front wave. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because what we're looking at is, is, a, is a total revolutionizing of Christianity from the pit that it has fallen in. There's nothing wrong with the word Christianity. It's just what it has represented and what it stood for. It's become very polluted, diluted. It's become um, nothing of its origination. So we may get into the, some of that sometime. But whether you call it a reformation, a, a transition, a shifting, uh, it's never been an easy road. And I want to encourage you with this. It's never been an easy road for people that are on the front end of it. You can trace it clear back to the book of Hebrews. Come back to Hebrews chapter 12, and, and just, I, I don't want you to think that you're undergoing, you know, this great verbal assault on Facebook or something else like nobody's ever faced before. I want you to, to look here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Look what, look, look what these people went. People on the front edge of a reformation, a shifting, whatever, however you want to phrase it, uh, a manifestation, People on the front edge of that undergo, generally undergo a lot of pushback. And many of you have undergone that. Verse 32 says this, And what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Listen, this stuff gets heavy. Quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. You talk about opposition, you talk about pushback. We, we don't have anything to complain about compared to what these guys in Hebrews did. These real early, these real early guys that were pushing uh, for the, for the uh, kingdom to really manifest. They were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves in the earth. I mean, I mean, these people went through hell on earth. Verse 39. Now, this is, don't ever feel bad because you don't feel like people are recognizing the validity of who you are or, or the ministry that you have. It says in verse 39, and all of these, all of these 
having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Wow. Wow. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Those folks went through it, y'all. I mean, they, they, went, they went through hell on earth. You don't think there's a hell? They, they went through hell. Now, what we're looking at today is a reformation. I call it a reformation because I feel that's what it is. And when we talk about reformation, what we're talking about is a reformation, right? It's a reformation of accepted norms that have been accepted as orthodox for generations. And let me just say this about orthodox. Just because religion looks at something and calls it orthodox, that does not mean it's inerrant does not mean it's infallible, and doesn't mean it's above question. So even when somebody says to you, well, that, what you believe is not orthodox. I don't, I don't care if an early church father said it. And I'm, I'm probably going to get some criticism for this, but I don't even care if an early church father said it. It's still, it still can be questioned. You still can look at it. But the point is this. When you're on the front edge of a reformation, of what has been considered normal or orthodox, whether it's Jesus, whether it's Paul or Luther or Calvin or Zwingli, um, the people in the Hall of Faith right there in Hebrews chapter 11, they all went through tough times to try to bring about change. Now, in my personal opinion, if we're going to look at, at bringing about a real change in our culture, in our world, of which we're the cutting edge, we're the front edge of this. Going to be multitudes that follow us. If you're on the front edge of this, then I think we probably ought to look at the pattern from which we were all cut. And that pattern then becomes what we look at and what we're being transformed into. Paul said it like this. He said, we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are changed into that same image from glory to glory. The more you, the more you see the glory of, of, of the Lord, the more you see what God is doing, the more you, and, and this is the key, one of the keys really for success, and I may take a whole time teach on this one time. It's, if you really want to be successful in the kingdom, it's very simple. You see what the Father is doing, and then you join Him. You don't have to make up your own deal. You see what He's doing in the earth, and then you join Him. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came at an appointed time, entered into what the Father was doing in the earth, and carried his part of the plan to its absolute completion. So did Paul, and so will you. But let me just, let me just show you the pattern here of, of what we need to be. Acts chapter 8 and verse 29. Acts chapter 8, verse 29. I love, I love to hit the scriptures because the scriptures is, are good. There's nothing wrong with Scripture if you read it right and understand it right and don't take it to be the trump card over what the Spirit of God speaks to you. What the Spirit of God speaks to you, you may find in Scripture, you may not find in Scripture. And what you find in Scripture, the Spirit of God may not speak to you. But there's a lot of truth and a lot of wisdom we can pull out of Scripture. So don't throw your Bible in the trash can and don't, um, don't eliminate it, meditating on it and, and reading it and pondering on it. There are a lot of good things in there. For example, this. Here's the pattern. God says, For whom I foreknew, I also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, 
that the son might be the firstborn among many brothers. So here we see the pattern. Here's, here's, here's the pattern. Jesus is the pattern. Every one of us that God foreknew, and he foreknew all of us. Don't go for that, that garbage that he only foreknew some. He foreknew all of us. All, he knew all of us were going to be on the planet. And I'm going to get into that. That's one of the, that's one of the secrets of living the life of Jesus is, is understanding that. So he foreknew all of us. And every person that he foreknew, he predestined, pre-wired, hooked you up, that you might be conformed to the image of the firstborn among many brothers. Then we see in 1 John chapter 3, I like this verse a lot. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the children of God. Today you're a child of God. Never, never doubt that. Never doubt your sonship. Never doubt your position. Your position is who you be. He said, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. And I think that's still true today. We, ha we haven't seen anything yet. But we know this, that when he appears, we shall exactly be like him, for we will see him as he is. Now, let me, let me read that verse again. I want you to, to settle into this, because this verse has been used erroneously to talk about a second coming. That's not what it's talking about. It says, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be. So we're talking about revelation here. We're talking about understanding through enlightenment through a shift in perception. We haven't understood exactly who we are yet, but we know this, that when he is revealed, when, when we see him as he is, we shall be like him. We shall be like him, for we will see him as, as he is. So here's what, here's what that, those two verses are really getting at. We discover us, ourselves, our identity, as we understand him. See, our identity is unveiled in him. Who we are is shown in him. Now, I, th I think past generations have missed this to a degree. And let me just make a small point here. I think past generations have, made, have missed this to a degree because they taught that we should try to be like Jesus. No, that's not what your calling is as a son. Your calling is being conformed into the image of the firstborn among many brothers. So that when you see him, you will know your identity. You'll know what you can walk in, right? It, when, when we say that he is, well, there's an, there's an old song we used to sing that says, he the great example is a pattern for me. I don't buy that because that smacks of separation. He, the great example, is a pattern for me. So there's separate, I'm looking at a pattern, I'm trying to become like the pattern. I'm trying to become like the example. I'm trying to conform myself to what the, what the pattern looks like, and that's not the plan. The plan is this, to look at how he walked, to look at how he overcame, and that's why I use my Bible. I wanna, I wanna study the life of Jesus. I wanna look at the life of Paul, and there's no better guy to do that than scripture. And I wanna see how they overcame. I, want, I wanna see how Jesus walked as a son, because when I see that, when I look into that mirror and I see the way that he did it, then you know what? I know that that same divine DNA is in me to do the same. In other words, I'm not trying to become like him. I'm discovering who I am through the revealing of the divine DNA that is in my life. And as I, as I see him, as he's revealed, and man, isn't he being revealed more and more every day? As he's revealed, I understand now 
the stuff that's in me that has been placed in me by the Father, by the Father, to conform me to the to the image of the first son. Not not that I'm striving in myself to get to, to be an example, for him to be my example. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've we've looked at Jesus. I I, I want to be like Jesus. No, you don't want to be like Jesus. You under you want to understand that what he is, you are also. There I said it. That's the way I wanted to say it. You understand that as he is, and as we is more of him is revealed as he is, then I see more as I is. See, as he is, so are we in this present world. That doesn't mean I try to be like him. That means I understand that we are in union together. There's no, there's no distinction. There's no line of demarcation. We're inseparable. You can't tell me from my older brother Jesus. He, he postured himself. This is part of the reformation that's going on. Jesus postured himself in a way that's been very foreign to us. Now, before I get to really the meat of the message, I'm still in my introduction. Jesus postured himself in a way that is very foreign to us. For example, he thrived on fellowship and oneness with the Father. That, that, that's the distinguishing mark of the life of Jesus. And this is what the Father's building into you, too. He's building into you a dependence on union, on oneness, on fellowship with him. Now, here's what we've done. We've built doctrines from a belief of lack and separation. We have not built our lives. The church has not helped us to build a life on union, on oneness, and fellowship with the Father. We have, we've looked at separation. For example, we've built, we've built doctrines. Let me give you a couple of examples. Our prayer doctrine was total separation. He was out there. We were here. We were praying to get him to come from the sky to where we were. And so we would pray before the service, oh, that you might come, Father, and, and show us your presence. Uh, Father, that you would come and bless us. Father, that you would come, you know, he, there was separation there. So we built that whole prayer doctor. All of us prayed the same way. Salvation, salvation, the same. It was built on works and separation. So we had to do something to merit the salvation. I had to pray a prayer, had to have faith, had to repent. All, all the hoops to jump through because I wasn't relying on the oneness. I wasn't relying on fellowship. I wasn't seeing myself being conformed into the image of the first son. I was striving to become what I already was to receive something that I already had. End times. We built doctrines on end times that were total separation. He was going to come from the sky, break through, and, and slay all the enemies that had caused us a problem here on earth. Um, um, health, healing. Always trying to get the healer to come to where we are. We, we took the Gospels, which was pre-cross, and the fact that Jesus went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, so we expected him to come do the same today rather than seeing that out of oneness and fellowship, the healer resides within us and everything that we need is already within, the kingdom is within, and now it's a matter of learning how to draw, learning how to pull, learning how to create in the visible that which resides within us that may be invisible. Faith was another thing we tried to build faith outwardly. We tried to do something to build faith rather than seeing that we live by his faith, which is what scripture teaches. So he thrived on fellowship and oneness. And up to this point, too many of us, even still, are trying to thrive on 
on doctrines from a belief of lack and separation. When Jesus prayed that famous prayer in John chapter 17, he prayed that our, we would open our minds and we would move from exactly what he lived from, which was one source. Jesus did not depend on source. He did not depend on validation from anybody else. He lived out of one source. Paul caught it. So Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, that there's only one God, one Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. That's bringing the focus down to see that there's only one source from which you are to draw from. Now, we haven't had that ingrained in us. We haven't heard it enough. It hasn't been taught for generations. So, you know, we really aren't for sure that we're truly as, as he is. So for us, when things don't work out, the church has been famous for developing a doctrine when things go south, when things don't work out, when things look bleak. That's how, I mean, that's why the rapture has been so important. It's been the impotence of the church to create kingdom here on earth it's been the impotence of the church to bring heaven to earth, which is what Jesus taught us to pray. And so we build a doctrine called the rapture that gets us out of the mess, that alleviates the pressure, alleviates the frustration. Jesus lived, now I'm going to start to get into to the message a little bit. Jesus lived out of, out of three basic, very basic revelations in his life that are totally available to us. And this morning, the reason I'm doing this teaching this morning is I want to bring to the table three things, three things that Jesus lived from that you can live from this morning as, as you manifest as a son, as the Father takes you and molds you into the exact image of the firstborn among many brothers. Isn't that what John chapter 8 verse 29 said? For those that he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image that, that means you stand on your own as an image. He's building it within you. When we try to live like Jesus or look at Jesus as an example, there's separation, there's distance. But when you understand that he's conforming you, Paul prayed that. He said, I'm, I, I'm going to stay at what I'm doing until Christ is fully formed within you. And then out of that Christ that has been formed within you, that's how we live. That's how we manifest. So these, these three things in the life of Jesus drew people to Jesus. <clears throat> Makes you like a magnet, brother. I'm telling you the truth. It really does. When, you know, sometimes we get blind to our purpose. And, and, and sometimes we, we demonstrate a life that we think is unlimited. We think we live in a kingdom that is, that is limited. And so we struggle with insecurities and doubts. How did Jesus transcend that stuff? How did Jesus move into that realm of living a life of unlimited? Isn't that what we're really after? When you function in the kingdom, you're functioning in a dimension, a realm, of, a level of consciousness that's totally unlimited. And we're learning to tap into that source. Jesus' unlimited life swung, I think, on these three hinges. I'm going to give you three this morning. I'm going to talk to you about, and when I'm done this morning, you're never going to live another day that you will doubt but what you're pleasing the Father. So stay with me. All right. Three things that Jesus found by revelation that, his, that determined a life, how he lived his life, I think made him bold as a lion. The first thing is this. Number one is this. And again, I, when I do one, two, three, or ABC, I don't do it in priority. It's just the way I get it. 
So the way I get it, I give it. Here's the first thing that I think really spurred Jesus on. This is what he's conforming us to. You want, you want to know what he's conforming you to? Here it is. First thing is this. Jesus knew that the Father sent him and was always with him. Now, I want, I want to let that settle down. Jesus knew that the Father sent him to earth on a specific mission, right? And that the Father was always with him. John chapter 8, verse 29. Jesus said this, He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Now, Jesus knew the Father sent him. Do you know this morning the Father sent you to the planet? Now, you, you have got to know. This might be a little controversial. But I, here's, here's my belief. You believe it, not believe it. You got to know that you came here on an agreed upon assignment between you and the Father, just like Jesus. I believe the Father, in the fullness of time, we'll read it from Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, he sent his son on a mission. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He had a mission. He had a specific assignment. It was between he and the Father. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Now, I, I'm really I'm bold about this because I, I believe this deep in my believer that every one of us agreed to an assignment before we ever came to earth. I think the Father laid it out. The Father, the Father built us. He constructed us in a way. Personality, temperament, environment, culture, parents, relatives, country you're born in. All of that fits together for the mission that you're here to accomplish. I, I, I base that a little bit on a couple of Old Testament scriptures. One is in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 to 8. I, I, if he did it for Jeremiah, we know he did it for Jesus. He sent Jesus on an assignment. If he, if he sent Jesus on an assignment and, and he and the Father agreed on it ahead of time, then why would it be different for us? We say, well, that was Jesus. Well, let me show you Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me saying, so the, the Father spoke this directly to Jeremiah. And what I'm teaching you this morning, I want you to get it by revelation. Don't get it just because Keith Lee says it. What I say doesn't amount to a hill of beans. I can talk all day long on here. What only matters is what you get out of or what the Father shows you through the time that you spend here at the Digital Cathedral. I can teach ABC, the Father show you DEF, and that's a value to you. So always be listening with your ear when I'm, when I'm teaching. Be listening to what the Father is saying to you. So here's the word came to Jeremiah, and he said, now this, this takes a pre-wiring. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you and ordained you to be a prophet of the nations. That fits exactly what we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Those that he foreknew, he predestined. He foreknew all of us. He predestined all of us. And he's bearing it out right here in, in Jeremiah's life. He told Jeremiah this directly. Brother, I sanctified you. It means I separated you. I, I put a particular purpose on you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, when you hear that, when, you, when all of a sudden you say, okay, this was the assignment. This was the assignment. And then Jeremiah says in verse 6, uh, Lord God, behold, I can't speak. Now, this is where your weakness becomes strength. 
if you're going to be a prophet, you can't speak. It would appear on the natural. You, you, you're, not, you're not a prophet. Behold, I can't speak, for I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you. Assignment. Specific assignment. And whatever I command you, you will speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. So I think that scripture is so clear, and it's, and, and it's an encouragement to me. That when I face pushback, I face opposition. When people don't understand me, it's an encouragement for me to know that the Father wired me to do what I do. See, I can teach it, but I can't, exp I can't understand it for people. They have to get the understanding from the Father. I can teach it, but I can't understand it for people. I want you to know that you have an assignment. You're here on an assignment, Jesus, just as Jesus was. Now. Your assignment and his are not the same. Your call and his are not the same. Your call and my call are not the same. But you do have one. Let me look at one more verse. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14. 1 John chapter 4. And let me just read one verse of scripture. Then we're going to get on. i got a lot to cover this morning. Verse 14. 1 John chapter 4. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Is there any doubt what the assignment of Jesus was? He sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, here's, here's what I want you to get this morning. And this first point, Jesus knew the Father sent him and was always with him. John chapter 8, verse 29 says that. He's always with me. The Father sent me and he's always with me. Now here's what I want you to here's what I want you to see out of this. Not only did he send you, but he has walked with you every step of the way. Remember those dark times? Those dark times, maybe the darkest hour in your life, you were misunderstood, you're rejected, uh, you didn't know what the heck you were doing, you felt lost, you messed up, made lots of mistakes. He was with you in the darkest time. When you totally royally screwed it up, he was right there with you. He didn't walk away. He didn't give up on you. Didn't give up on me and my dark star. When I screwed things all up, he's with us. See, but we, we have a problem with that because we, we don't feel that he sent us and that he's always with us. So what do we do? Here's what we're trained to do. We run look for a prophet. We run to the pastor's office. I need some help. I need counsel. We, uh, uh, you know, I've really, I've really missed this up. We're always looking for a confirmation. We're looking for a sign. We, we, we want to know that we heard from him. We want to know we're on the right path. We want to know that the direction we're going is, is a good direction. So we, we chase prophets. We chase people we think have answers all over town. You know why? Because we don't trust him. We don't trust what we're hearing. We don't, we're, not, we're not assured of this first point that guided the life of Jesus, the knowledge that the Father sent him and is always with him. We don't trust the integrity of the program here. See, let me, okay, I'm going to give you one more verse of scripture, a couple more verses of scripture from the Old Testament because I, this is vitally important because if we don't get this nailed down, if we don't think we're here on an assignment, you're just going to wander all through your life. And I'll, I'll tell you the worst thing that can happen is that you spend all your life trying to determine what the assignment is. Let me tell you what your assignment is. 
That's exactly what you're doing right now. You're flipping hamburgers at McDonald's, selling real estate, you're a school teacher, a lawyer, you're retired. You're exactly right where you need to be. You're on assignment. I always say it like this, brother. As long as you're taking up space and breathing air, you're on an assignment. Your time's not done, right? And the Father, Father knew that with Jesus. That's why Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. He said, my assignment's done. We should never leave the earth until the assignment is done. We should never. There's, Jesus said, no man takes my life. That should be our testimony too. No man, I lay it down when I'm ready. When the appointed time comes, I'll lay it down. I'll change levels of consciousness. Sickness, disease, I, I'm immortal. I'm sorry. That's the way it rolls. Now watch what David said. He said, your eye saw my substance being yet unformed. So the father had an imagination and visualization of David before he was ever even formed in the womb. And your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. That's an assignment, brother, sister. That's God saying, I have a plan for you and you're going to walk it out. They've all been planned. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more than the numbers of the sand on the beach. And when I awake, you're still with me. So David is saying the same thing as Jeremiah. You knew me before I was born. You knew me before I had any form or substance. And you ordained my days. You knew how I would spend every day. How, you, you, you knew exactly the outcome. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. So I want, first point this morning, I want you to know that you are sent and he's always with you. Never doubt that. Never doubt that. Three, four years ago, Baxter Kruger gave me a little, little coin that had scriptures on it and different, different sakes. And he was doing a conference at my church and he gave me this little coin. He said, I want you to carry this in your pocket. And every time you, you, you see that or feel it in your pocket, I want you to be reminded that the Father's always with you that his presence surrounds you. He said, never forget that. He said, just let that be a little reminder to you. So in knowing, in knowing that he sent you and that he has an assignment for you, you have to know that you're complete, that you're lacking nothing. You have everything that is necessary for you to fulfill the assignment. Jesus knew he was complete. Paul knew that Jesus was complete. He said in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, that in Jesus dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Then in verse 10, he says, and you're complete in him. You're not trying to be like him. You're complete in him. Jesus never feared loss, never feared abandonment. He knew the Father sent him and was with him in union every step of the way. And Jesus Jesus did his best to impart that to the disciples in a way that they could impart it to every generation on the earth. In John 14, 20, he said, in that day you'll know that I'm in the Father. Father's in me. You're in me. I'm in you. Father's in you. You're in the Father. We're all together in union in, as one. So when that, settles in, when that settles into your inner man, when that settles into your spirit, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be bold as a lion. Separation of any kind, trying to be an example, follow an example, trying to compare. That's, that's separation. And it appeals to the carnal mind because the carnal mind thinks it can, it can do stuff to make itself worthy. See, separation can only be a mindset. It's never a reality.
It's only a perception that we think. Jesus never questioned his origin, never questioned his agreed upon mission. And neither should you. Neither should you. All right, number two. Here's the second thing. Second thing, second hinge that I think the door of Jesus' life swung on. He said, I only do what is pleasing to the Father. Now, this is what I want to get at. He said, I only do what is pleasing to the Father. Remember in that, in that 29th uh, verse of John chapter 8, he, he put it all together. The, that's where I got these first two points from. This is what Father really spoke to me and said, I want you to understand that this is about Jesus, but it's about you as well. John chapter 8, verse 29. And he who sent me is with me. That was the first point. The Father has not left me alone. I always do those things that please him. I always do those things that please him. Now, if Jesus could do the things, only do the things that please the Father, what makes you think that you can't eat, that you can't do it too? That's a bold statement. That's a bold statement. Some people might say that's even egotistical to say, I always please the Father. Can you look in the mirror and say that? Can you look in the mirror and say, everything I do pleases the Father? That's a gigantic as he is, so are we in this world, right? If you knew, let me just ask you a question. If you knew this morning, this Sunday morning, if you knew that everything that you did pleased the Father, how would you feel? If you knew that every, every circumstance you came into, you could please him, and you did please him, and you were pleasing him, how would that make you feel? See, most, most people back away from that. Everything I do pleases the Father. They back away from that because they see all the foul-ups. See, they've got pleasing Him based on performance. They've got pleasing Him based on what they do. That's not what pleases Him. And so there are times that, that we knowingly rebel, we willingly, re, willingly rebel. Isaiah, Isaiah knew that. Hope you don't mind I'm using scripture this morning. I just, it just speaks to me a lot. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. I want to read verse 6 and verse 7 out of Isaiah chapter 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has gone astray. We all messed up. We've turned everyone to his own ways. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now that's an important part of that last part of the sixth verse. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity is, that's another word for sin. Now let me just tell you what, what, what's going on here. We've all messed up. And the Father knows that. So what he did, the wages of sin is death, Paul said. The wages of iniquity. Iniquity is just another word for sin. Missing the mark, not hitting, the, hitting it perfect. That produces death. So what the Father did, he laid that penalty of death for sin on Jesus because we all went astray. In going astray, there was a price to pay for that. It should have been death. So Jesus steps in and says, look, I'm going to absorb you into myself. We're coming into union. I'm going to die for all. And if I died for all, then all have died. Therefore, I'm taking the consequence of the sin from you. You don't have to pay that anymore. I'm taking death out of the equation. Oh, man, I can't wait to get into some of that. Can't wait to get into some of that. Now, Paul said the exact same thing. So we've got, we've got the foul up, but we've got the solution, right? We've got all of us messing up. Then we've got Jesus coming with the solution by taking the penalty for that iniquity upon himself. It didn't come from the Father. It came from the iniquity. It came from the sin. He took the ramifications of mankind's sin on himself. It was our sin. The Father wasn't 
punishing Jesus. He wasn't taking out his anger and vengeance. Jesus was freeing us from sin and from death. So he came with a solution. Now, Paul says the same thing. And because we don't really believe we can always please the Father, we rely more on one part of this verse than, than the other, than the verse that follows. It says, all right, now this is the same thing as Isaiah chapter 53, just bring it into a New Testament context. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray, same thing. Now he laid on him the iniquity of, of us all, right? Now look what it says in verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Exact same thing. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, I think is mirrored perfectly post-resurrection in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, verse 24. Now we don't hear nearly as much about verse 24, that we have been justified freely. That means you don't do anything to be justified. When it's freely, you don't do anything for it. How can it be free if you have to do something? So the problem, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but the solution is he's justified us freely. Now what you have to ask yourself, same thing in Isaiah 53, is the sheep going astray more powerful than the iniquity and the price that Jesus paid for our going astray? Which is more powerful? Which is more powerful, the sin that all did or the justification freely that came to all through grace and the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm building something here. Now, a lot of our disobedience and rebellion came because of spiritual contradictions. We felt like God let us down. We, we, we had those doctrines that I talked to you earlier about that because of separation that we created, you know, we prayed and God didn't answer. We became discouraged. We, we tried to be good enough to feel saved, and there are days we didn't feel saved. There were days we exercised our faith, tried to build our faith, yet our faith always seemed work, always seemed weak. So we felt like we, we messed up. We were a total failure. We, we might have left him in our minds, but he never left us, right? Because he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always been pleased with us in the darkest times. In the darkest times, and this has happened to me. I've talked, this, I know what I'm talking about. When you really mess up, in the darkest times, when you're laying in, that, in your bed all by yourself at night, the presence of God just comes. It just arises from somewhere. And He's just as real and tangible as the breath that you're breathing. And He's telling you, I love you, man. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't left you. I haven't given up on you. He's saying, you can't escape me. You can run and hide, but you can't escape. Jesus identified as a son in the midst of all kinds of contradictions that went on in his life, and that was pleasing to the Father. So the question is this, what pleases the Father? If Jesus always pleased the Father, then what pleases the Father? Now, most of you don't know how the Father views pleasing Him, so we do it naturally with our obedience and good works. We think that's how we please the Father. So, as I just got on saying, when we mess up, we foul up, we fall short, we don't feel like we've really pleased Him. Here's how you please the Father. Here's how you please the Father. All right, there's going to never be another day you don't please the Father. Listen to me. You please the Father 
when you choose not to condemn yourself. You please the Father when you choose not to get on a guilt trip because you messed up. You please the Father when you don't try to prove your worth to Him. Are you listening? If you'll do that, then you are doing what pleases Him. Let me say it this way. What pleases the Father is when you agree with Him about you. <laughs> your outward actions stem from how you see you. So when you see you wrong, you act wrong, and you think you have displeased God. That's not how he sees you. That's not how he sees you. That, gets, that does not get us into pleasing him. He sees you not based on what you do. He sees you based on who you be. So listen to me. When you see you like he sees you, that pleases him. That pleases him. What pleases him is when you don't get when you don't feel guilty, when you don't condemn yourself. Do you remember what it said in Ephesians chapter one verse four? Ephesians chapter one verse four says that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now watch this: that we should walk before him, holy and blameless in his sight. So when you see you holy and blameless. You don't see the mess ups. You don't see the places you feel like you've fallen short. What you see is yourself holy and blameless before him in love. That pleases him. So from this day forward, you see you like he sees you and you'll please him. Jesus saw himself the way that the father saw him. Father said, that's my beloved son. That's my boy right there in whom I'm well pleased. So what was Jesus' testimony? I am the son of God. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the bread of life. That's all expressions of how the Father saw him. When you make an expression of how the Father sees you, it pleases him. So if you want to live a life that pleases the Father the way that the life of Jesus pleased the Father, then let him conform you to that image of never putting yourself down, never, never condemning yourself, never calling yourself unrighteous, never calling yourself an old sinner saved by grace. Never do that. All right, third thing. So what we've got so far is that Jesus knew the Father sent him, was always with him. And, 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 and the second thing that we said that hinged on the life of Jesus, he said, I only do what's pleasing the Father. And we've learned now that we can always please the Father. And the third thing that really empowered the life of Jesus. And listen, this is, this is very important to you. Jesus said, the Father in me, he doeth the works. The Father in me, he doeth the works. Why is this important? Because it takes the pressure off of you. All three of these points I pulled out of the book of John. John had this special understanding of the king and the kingdom. John had this special understanding of how it functioned and what our, our special place in the kingdom was by being in union with the Father. The Father, the Father uh, uh, you know, just takes us by the hand and pulls us into union with himself. He does the works. Every, everything is right timing with God. Everything flowed into the life of Jesus by right timing, right? And it will with us too. This is so important. This, the Father does the works in the right timing. We, do the, we try to do the right works, but sometimes our timing messes up. There's a verse of scripture 
and I've got about four or five minutes left. Stay with me. There's a verse of scripture that has meant so much to me, especially since I've come into the revelation that you and I are living in. The Father in me, he doeth the works. I can of my own self do nothing. That inspired Jesus. Verse of scripture that has meant a lot to me, that has freed me up, taken the pressure off me. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says this, it is, it is the Father within you who, who works to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is the Father in you that does the willing and does the empowering for his good pleasure. Let, let me, uh, that, see, you can tell I've been meditating it because I've got it, I've got it squirreled around to where uh, I think about it. Here's, here's the exact wording. For it is God who works in you. He always does the works. It is the Father who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The reason that verse meant a lot to me is because it says the Father puts the will in me. Then it's the Father's responsibility to do the work of that will. It no longer is my responsibility. When you don't sense the Father doing anything, that's a good time to take your foot off the gas and just relax. That's a good time to rest. You don't have to, you don't have to react. You don't have to try to deliver the goods or, or do the work yourself. You don't have to name it. You don't have to claim it because we're starting to panic and feel insecure. That's, I better do something. We bet, doing something's better than nothing. Isn't that the old saying? Galatians 4.4 4 says that in the fullness of the time, the father sent the son. Why didn't the father send the son in the time of Jeremiah? It wasn't the right time. Why didn't he send him to be the deliverer instead of Moses? It wasn't the right time. The Father has a time schedule for everything, including the enlightening of people and the awakening spiritually of people. It all is, a, it all is something that God is fitting together. Now, when you sense what the Father's doing, what you want to do is join it. Read between the lines a little bit. See what he's really doing. Look for opportunities to demonstrate grace. Look for opportunities to demonstrate love. See, we define ourselves by what we do. That's not how God defines us. So when we can't do something, we feel purposeless. We feel helpless. You know, some of the natural things that make me feel helpless are trying to fix mechanical things. I try to do things around the house, hang curtains or I mean, just what some of you would consider very simple tasks for me are extremely difficult. I was telling my brother that he's much more mechanical than I am. He can fix things, take things apart, put them back together. I, I can't do that. I, I, I'm all thumbs. So when, when I find myself, I can get it apart, it's putting it back together. When I find myself being all thumbs, I feel like, man, I'm, I'm useless. I, I, I'm purposeless here, see? And that's because I'm doing the work. That's because I'm doing the work. Now, when you bring that over into the kingdom, real purpose is not revealed in self-effort. It's revealed in reliance upon the Father who is doing the works. Right? John chapter 13, verse 7. I'm just about done. John chapter 13 and verse 7. John chapter 13 and verse 7. These things that, that, that hinged in Jesus' life, that were the four, this is, this is what made Jesus who he was. Knew the Father sent him, was always with him. He knew that the Father did the works. These, these kind of things are what made Jesus strong, which enabled him. And man, this is, this is bread. This is food. This is meat. 
John chapter 13, verse 7. Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. So Jesus is saying there's some things we know now, there's some things we don't know now, but we're going to get to understand more as we go on. It's a trust issue. Really, it's a trust issue. Jesus trusted the Father to do the works. So you and I have got to learn to rest, trust, believe, set back in his arms, and let him do the works. Until our eyes open to our divine nature, to our identity as divinity, we will never experience the fullness of our being here on earth. We will never please him until we see us the way that he sees us. Let me say this in conclusion. I'm done. We've moved out of religion. And just in time, because religion is crumbling. The, the whole house of cards is falling. But because you know that you have been sent and that he's always with you, and you know that you always please the Father, and you know that he's the one that's doing the works, many people that have previously struggled and have rejected the message of the gospel, not because they rejected Jesus, they rejected the message, but because now you're fleshing out with confidence and letting people know that just as you're sent, they're sent. Just as, just as you please the Father, they please the Father by not condemning themselves, not feeling guilty. And just as you rely and rest on the Father doing the works, because that's how Jesus lived. They're going to be drawn to that. Many that have previously rejected a contorted message about Jesus will embrace him when they see these things emanating in your life. You know why? Because the gospel you carry is unconditional love and it includes everybody. So the things that we learn at the digital cathedral are applicable to everybody you encounter. And we, like Jesus, become friends with those that think that they are sinners. Those that have no idea who they are. All right? So here's those are three little principles. Not little. They're gigantic. That the Father is, is putting into you. He foreknew you. He ordained you. <laughs> Not only did he foreknow you, he predestines you to be conformed to the image of his Son. This conforms you. This is solid meat. Hope you got something from this today. It's time for me to go. I ran a couple minutes over. Uh, make sure you share this. Make sure you hit subscribe and like. Helps us uh, to get in front of as many people as we possibly can. Make sure you share, share the page. And God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night at the Secret Place back next Sunday morning, 10 a.m. at the Digital Cathedral. Have a wonderful week. God bless.